Welcome to 4D. Deep dive into degenerative diseases. Gaining insights through casual and amusing clinical conversations. Welcome to 4D, a podcast brought to you by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group. I'm Parm Paget, a physical therapist, and I'm part of the podcast team of the DD Sick. And I am very excited to bring you this special episode to celebrate three years of podcasting. In order to introduce what we're doing in this special episode, I have Sarah Thaler with me. Sarah has also served on the DD SIG with me, and um, we were trying to dream up a title for Sarah, and I like executive producer. So Sarah, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and um, tell us your title related to this podcast, what you think your title is. <laughs> Hi, Parm. Um, I'm Sarah Zoller, and I am currently the secretary of the DD SIG. I was on the nominating committee for three years before that, so I've been with the SIG for a while. And I think of myself as the primary editor on these 4D podcasts because I do most of the editing, but not all. Uh, we have other team members who have helped out along the way. Yeah, that is true. You are the primary editor, but you're also like a big force in shaping the podcast. All right. So what are we doing today? What is this special podcast? All right. So it came up in one of our board meetings and we were talking about someone's pet peeve and we thought it would be really kind of fun and interesting to ask other PTs and researchers what their pet peeve might be, um, because we realized as a board that most, if not all, I'll just go ahead and say all of us had at least one. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, we thought it would just be fun to hear from all the experts we've talked to on the podcast over the last few years. And it was good timing because we're coming up on three years of podcasting for 4D. So we thought it would be a fun little anniversary special episode for us to reach out. So a few months ago, we reached out to all our former guests and our former board members to see if anyone was interested in sharing their pet peeve with us. And we got back some really fun recordings. That is great. And so what we're going to do today is play the recordings and just kind of chat about some of them as we go. I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First up, we have one from Ann Clues, who is a founding member of the DDSIG. So we'll let her lead us off here. Hello, this is Ann Clues. I'm a professor clinical at Ohio State University and a former chair of the DDSIG. One of my neuro pet peeves is when people incorrectly use the word track when it should be tracked. For example, there's no such thing as a spinal thalamic or medial lemniscus track. They are both tracks. A track is where I sometimes go to run or a trail that I hike on. Track and tracked have entirely different meanings and they're not interchangeable. Okay, I love that. <laughs> And mostly I love that she talked about running on a track, <laughs> but 
Um, I have a question for you, Sarah. Have you ever noticed this or heard it used incorrectly before? I can't say that I have, but as soon as she said it, I thought to myself, maybe I have used that incorrectly. I, I think I use tracked, but the vision of the little neural impulses running down the track makes sense to me. <laughs> it sort of makes sense in reverse. Yeah, that's true. Like the incorrect word kind of makes sense. But certainly when I think of those tracks and and kind of picture them, I always like picture the word tracked with a T. So I don't necessarily have fond memories of the tracks, but (laughs) agreed, but good point. Okay. So next we're going to hear from a current board member of the DD SIG, Jeannie Stevenson. Hi, my name is Jeannie Stevenson. I am the vice chair of the DD SIG. I have been since 2019 and I was just renominated for another three years. I am an associate professor at the University of South Florida School of Physical Therapy and Rehab Sciences, and I've been teaching the neuro rehab curriculum here for many years. My pet peeve refers to the word tone. I was enlightened to this problem by my colleagues at Virginia Commonwealth University. My issue is when therapists or other healthcare professionals say, oh, that patient has tone. Instead of saying the patient has increased muscle tone in a specific muscle or what level on the modified Ashworth scale, well, of course the patient has tone. Every muscle in the body has a certain level of muscle tone. This muscle tone can be either normal or it can be increased, i.e. spasticity, or it can be low, also called hypotonia. So please, please, Don't say the patient has tone, rather state the muscle you're referring to and whether it's increased muscle tone or low muscle tone and maybe even the MAS level. This is my pet peeve in neurologic physical therapy. Now, Parm, you work in acute care. Do you see things like this very often? Oh, yes. (laughs) All the time. Well, particularly when people talk about tone. And we actually have had a conversation as a group about it because um, I did an in-service. And I think it's probably a fairly common thing to do. And I, my guess is there are probably several people out there that also have this same pet peeve. And it used to be a pet peeve for me, but I had, I forget who I had this conversation with. It might've been a neurologist. We were talking about this exact thing and they kind of said, well, you know, language evolves. And in the context, when somebody says that there's tone, like we know that they mean hypertonicity, but I will say in documentation, I think it's important to use the proper terminology for sure. So I definitely agree with Jeannie and, but I think more than just agreeing. I think it's such a good thing to bring up and to think about. How about you? I think the specificity of it really resonates with me. Um, I find I'm a mentor in a residency program for BU, and I find that often I'm asking the residents, okay, uh, tone, specificity, but where? Or weakness, but where? Or mm-hmm. sort of range of motion loss, but where? <laughs> you know, right. Because it matters. 
certainly in how you're going to approach your treatment plan or what you're going to be looking at for bracing, things like that, um, that most people don't just have global weakness or tone or whatever impairment it is, you know, Mm -hmm. I think we can all be more specific in our language. I will also say in listening to this, I couldn't help but think we'll be even more entertaining or maybe more pet peevish for Jeannie would be if someone wrote no tone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who has no tone. That's a bad one. (laughs) Agreed. All right. Well, we're going to move on. Our next contributor um, is also talking about kind of a language issue, and that's Herb Karpatkin. Hello, this is Herb Karpatkin. I'm an associate professor of physical therapy at Hunter College, City University of New York. I have many pet peeves, but the one I'm going to share today is about the confusion between two terms. One is genu-recurvatum, and the other is an extensor thrust. I have seen too many times that when a patient with weakness on one leg, when during initial contact, the knee snaps back, it is referred to as genu-recurvatum. That is incorrect. Genu-recurvatum means that the knee passively or actively, goes past full extension. When the knee snaps back without going past full extension, it is referred to as an extensor thrust. When the knee snaps back, an extensor thrust can lead to genuirecrobotum, but they are not the same thing. The reason why this is important is that a therapist can document what they believe to be genu-recurvatum when they don't have it. All right, Sarah, what did you think of that? I can see a theme emerging in terms of terminology um, and that sometimes the confusion in terminology for something specific like this can be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's a good point. I think it's a that's a good thing to bring up. So thank you, Herb. So our next contributor is somebody who was also a founding member of the DDSEG and has been on this podcast twice. We're going to hear from Lori Quinn. Hi, my name is Lori Quinn. I am a professor of movement sciences and kinesiology at Teachers College, Columbia University. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. I have been on two episodes of 4D podcast where um, I talked about my work in individuals with Huntington's disease. I'm excited to be back. Um, I was also an officer of the DD-SIG. I was actually the first chair way back in the late 1990s. So I helped to start the SIG along with Julie Feynman and Vanina Dabella Haas and Ann Kluse. So I'm really pleased to be here and to share with you my biggest pet peeve. So my biggest pet peeve is when a therapist working with a patient with a neurodegenerative disease or really any patient does not ask the patient one simple thing that can have a huge impact on patient outcomes. And that is what are their goals? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that therapists never ask a patient what they want to work on or what's important to them, but they just assume that they know what's important based on their diagnosis or their presenting problems. 
So I really think the first thing that therapists should do is get to know your patients um, and know what their goals are. And your job is to work together to help them achieve their goals. So seems simple, but it's a huge pet peeve because I hear about it all the time. And I think it's just such a simple thing that therapists can do um, and should really be a mainstay of our intervention. So there we go. There's my pet peeve. Thanks to the 4D team for inviting me to be on. All right. Well, Lori Quinn is awesome. As we know, we've had her on twice. But um, yes, I mean, really, what more can you say? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about what she said was um, that therapists need to get to know their patients. And I think that one of the best ways to do that is to ask about their goal. You know, they, I think sometimes our patients even come without a specific goal in mind, but if you can, if you introduce that idea, then they might start thinking about it, really talking to you more about their life and what they do on a day-to-day basis and what's important to them. So just great. We have sort of made a departure from the more um, sort of linguistic type of um, pet peeve into more that is sort of based on practice or um, how we interact with patients or how we think about our practice. So with that, we're going to move on to the next contributor, also a founding member. There seems to be a little (laughs) bit of a theme here with some of these folks. Um, Another founding member of the DVSEG, Vanina Del Bello Haas. Hi there. Welcome to my pet peeve. This is Vanina Del Bello Haas. I'm a professor in the School of Rehabilitation Science at McMaster University, and I participated in the podcast on ALS. If I had to choose one, My biggest pet peeve would be when I hear physical therapists say physiology or pathophysiology knowledge is really not that important for clinical practice. Or when, along the same lines, they say something like theories or theoretical frameworks don't really matter to the practice. Their rationale, I just need to be able to do. It's all about my hands. I don't need to understand or explain or think about why. It truly is a head-scratcher, isn't it, that we still hear this from our colleagues, considering how much the physical therapy profession has advanced. This type of thinking is how we end up with physical therapists using muscle stimulation on muscles graded as one or two strength for people with ALS, you know, to, in quotes, strengthen the muscle. This type of thinking is how we end up with, oh, I don't know. That would be a question for a neurospecialist or a basic scientist. In response to being asked a question about, what's the rationale for that treatment? This type of thinking is also how we end up with the answer, it depends. Yes, it does depend. It depends on tangible elements, principles, mechanisms, concepts that are sound and fundamental versus your hands. My guess is they're not sexy enough for a viral TikTok video, but they do provide explanations for why. They are the building blocks to effective clinical decision-making, in particular when evidence is thin or not available. And they are the foundations that lead to effective development, testing, and implementation of sound, grounded-in-science interventions. 
I'm Vanina Dabella Hawes, and I approve this message. All right. Well, I just want to start out by saying I love that she approves the message. <laughs> that was great. I think, you know, her pet peeve, which is a big topic and a lot to chew on. Um, I think it's going to give us a lot to think about, but but very well stated. I think it resonates with people in terms of challenging themselves to think deeper and to answer the questions, to use some of that science knowledge that we all worked so hard for in PG school and still work hard for sometimes when we see things we don't recognize in papers or presentations. And um, I think it's it can be easy to lose sight of it, but it's so valuable and it's nice to have someone point that out so eloquently. Agreed. It actually kind of reminds me of the work that the Moving Forward Task Force is doing. So great segue. If you want to kind of learn more or hear ideas of how people are changing the way that they do things or the way that they think about things, then um, check out the information on the Moving Forward Task Force website. I feel like this is like one of those things that really does help kind of prevent burnout in our profession and others is is that sort of constant like learning and turning the gears and answering the why questions. Yeah. Yeah. I think it gives you hope, right. To know that like we're figuring things out or not. We, <laughs> somebody is figuring things out and we can access that information. All right, Sarah, who are we going to hear from next? Well, we have a special guest appearance on this recording that Parm and I are doing just a few minutes ago when um, Parm got a little ding. I'm sure you'll hear that one in the bloopers. And one of our biggest podcast fans, Judy Deutsch, also former guest on the podcast, let us know that she's still interested in recording her pet peeve. So we invited her to hop on and she came on this very Zoom call. So we got All right, let's- a, a bonus extra guest tonight, live recording. Here it comes. Hi, guys. Hello. Uh, wow. I like I was driving in my car when I went, oh, I forgot to record that thing for Parm. I'm like, let me see if it's too late. So I guess it's not too late. So we lit- literally just started recording. And Sarah's pet peeve when we record, <laughs> we record podcasts is dinging. And I, I had my iPad next to me, not silenced. And there was this dinging and it was you texting about the pet peeve thing. So, <laughs> Well, sometimes you just need to deal with the ding, Sarah. I know. <laughs> so here goes my pet peeve. Hi, I'm Judy Deutsch. I'm a member of the Academy, and um, long ago, I was the editor-in-chief of the Journal of NeuroPT, and during that time is when my pet peeve surfaced. I was very confused because authors would send in manuscripts, and they would identify themselves as PT, PhDs, and other people would do PhD, PT. So I was like, what's the deal? So I went to the Council of Science Editors and I looked up the convention and the convention is to have your clinical degree first and then your academic degree. So it should be PT, PhD, which is why we see MD, PhD. 
And it's a pet peeve for me when I see PTs who want to put their PhD in front of their PT. And I think it's just because they think it's a higher degree or I don't know what, but it's a pet peeve and they should just stop doing it. That's my pet peeve. All right. So I think that what Judy said was interesting. It's also actually something that I've noticed. That said, another uh, one of my personal pet peeves is when people put like alphabet soup after their name, right? There are sort of approved or recognized things that we can put after our name. And I'm pretty sure it's really just your license and your degree. Or if you're really fancy and you're like a fellow, I think you can do the FAPTA, but we don't have to worry about that, do we, Barb? We're not really fancy. (laughs) We're we're not fancy at all. Not even really fancy. (laughs) Um, But yes, there are very few things. And um, even though it's, you know, people work hard and they're proud of their specialty and some of their certifications, it does, it, it looks ridiculous when that list comes out. Agreed. So great sort of insight and obviously very fun to have Judy just jump on and join us here. Always a good time when we chat with her. Yes. Thank you, Judy. All right. So next we have another person who has been on the DD SIG in the past and was actually on the nominating committee when I first came on. And so somebody that I was lucky enough to be able to work with. And we're very excited to hear from Alicia Flack. Hey there, this is Alicia Flack. I am a clinical associate professor at the University of South Carolina Physical Therapy Program. And I am a proud prior DD SIG officer and was involved and at least around when the idea of a podcast was first discussed and launched. So I'm super excited to see where this podcast has gone and see how it's grown over the last three years. So congrats uh, to all. Uh, Thank you, Sarah, for the invitation to share my PT pet peeves. My first pet peeve that I want to share is lack of intensity with our interventions. Um, And this really takes a few different avenues from always doing three sets of 10 of seated exercise or offering too many rest breaks or not measuring intensity at all. So no Borg scale, no heart rate monitors. That's pet peeve number one, I would say, maybe the top of my list. Thank you so much. All right. This is another one where we just have to say yes. Absolutely. Love this one. And spot on with all of the like three sets of 10. Like, I love that. But all the things, totally spot on. Love it. Yeah. And I think, you know, in our this degenerative disease population specifically, sometimes people are scared to even go to moderate intensity, never mind high intensity. But in some populations like Parkinson's and MS, there's more and more coming out about bumping into that higher intensity and it can, you know, potentially take you further. So there's lots of reasons to monitor intensity and, and sometimes you are looking to keep people at a lower intensity, but I think getting comfortable in those higher zones when it's appropriate is uh, coming our way. Totally. And I think the RPE skill is great too, because 
or giving patients permission or encouraging them to get to that higher RPE, you know, under guidance. And I think that that some of these folks, the only way they're going to get there is if someone's there saying, yep, that's what we expect. We want you to be up that high or higher. And they're like, all right, I'm keep going. <laughs> hopefully. So this actually leads kind of well into our next one, which is not so much about intensity, but also about how our profession has developed to get better at certain things. So we're going to hear from Amy York. My name is Amy York, and I'm an associate professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Michigan Flint. I was fortunate to talk about a knowledge translation article published in JNPT regarding standardized outcome assessment and Parkinson's disease. This was episode 18 released in January 2021. My PT pet peeve, balance is more than good, fair, or poor. I have been practicing for almost 30 years, and I have seen the evolution of how we as physical therapists evaluate and document balance dysfunction. From the dynamic gait index to the functional gait assessment from the best test to the mini best test, to now being able to use diagnostic labels to discuss deficits in steady state, anticipatory and reactionary postural control, there has been significant growth in this area. With all of the evidence that gives us direction on how to best treat balance dysfunction, it drives me crazy to still see physical therapists document balance as normal, good, fair, or poor. Imagine a world where good, fair, and normal are not available choices on the EMR. Imagine a world where we consistently utilize standardized outcome measures, categorize the deficits, and then target treatment. What skill does it take to say someone's balance is good? Not much. Let's keep pushing to make a change in evaluating balance. We can do better than normal. Love it. So well stated. So well stated. I love that. Imagine a world. Uh, but I think we're, we're, we're close, aren't we? You know, we don't have to imagine too much. I think people are doing it. Maybe not everybody, but I don't know. You're giving me the eyes. <laughs> um, I think that the clinical circles that we, some of us run in are different than others. So, you know, if you're at a institution where there's a lot of education and a lot of outcome measures being used, then, you know, I think that you're right that we're getting closer. But I think there's a lot of places where that isn't happening. Or even if there are outcome measures being used, people aren't necessarily incorporating that into their thinking and then their language when they document. So I think that that was a really good point that Amy brought up is that like, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like I, tr- I need to get my documentation done and I need to get it done efficiently and quickly. Right. So I know. And I also, I'm speaking from the spoiled outpatient world where you have multiple visits, the equipment, people are wearing shoes, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah. breakfast tray is not coming in 10 minutes. So <laughs> Yeah, but I do we have think- it easiest of anyone to make that transition, but I still have faith right. that it can happen across settings. And even that, you know, there's been a lot of talk with the core outcomes of how much that can facilitate communication and tracking patient progress. Um, so I, I believe it can happen. 
Yeah. And I think even if you don't have time to do a sort of standardized outcome measure, that doesn't mean that you can't be more specific about how you characterize somebody's balance. I think it just takes a little bit of thinking and then, and then you start getting used to thinking that way, you know, and, and it can, it can happen. So hopeful message from Amy. Okay, so Sarah, we have our last recorded pet peeve that we're going to share. So we're going to hear another hopeful message from Julie Hirschberg. Hey there, this is Julie Hirschberg from Reactive Physical Therapy and Wellness in the Los Angeles area. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when medical providers tell some of my patients that their symptoms are in their head, meaning they're made up, they're not real, they're faking it. This drives me bonkers, and I hope that every NeuroPT can help validate people's symptoms as real and not made up and help dispel the myth that some neurologic signs and symptoms uh, are really not in your head. Truth. Another truth. Oh my yeah. gosh. I just love like you like hear her like energy and passion coming out in her recording. She's so yeah. good to listen to. Yeah, it's so true. And and the thing that I love about her pet peeve is that she's really empowering us, right? To like help our patients. And I think she's alluding to functional neurologic disorder, which is an area where she does a lot of work, a lot of really good work. Um, and it is like, you know, I, for a while I was trying to wrap my brain around it. Like what, like, what does it really mean? And I kind of came up with this idea that it's like, it's like um, a short circuit, you know, in your brain and, you know, there's ways to kind of get it back together but if your car was short-circuiting and you took it to a mechanic it wouldn't just say oh it's just all in the electrical system like oh well right so I think it's a really good point that she's making and empowering to us to to be the ones to really sort of help our patients to understand that there's something going on and you know we're going to try to help them figure out how to solve the problem sounds good love it I have nothing to add, Farm. Yes. Right on. <laughs> this is why I'm not the host, because I don't have unlimited amounts of commentary. <laughs> okay, Sarah, do you have any pet peeves? So one funny one that came up when we were talking as a board about pet peeves is that when I was originally on the board as one of the early nominating committee member, um, the Facebook page happened to fall into my purview <laughs> and my DD SIG Facebook pet peeve is that we get requests all the time from people with spinal stenosis, which they consider a degenerative condition, um, and not only that, but people whose pets have degenerative disc disease and spinal stenosis. So it's a little bit of a happy <laughs> because for a while there. And um, I'll give a shout out to Elizabeth Nixon, who's running our Facebook page right now and dealing with all the false requests. But for a while, there's like every day someone's sending me a sob story about their pet with degenerative disc disease. I was like, I don't really think you understand. And 
you know, we put a lot of screening questions and other things and people just were tearing down the doors to get in and hear what we had to say. Um, that's crazy. So that's a good terminology one, the difference between neurodegenerative and degenerative disc disease. Um, well, that's so interesting too, because I feel like we get into our little, you know, wheelhouse or silo or whatever it is. And we know how we're using these terms. Like never really, you know, until you told me this story, it never really occurred to me that like degenerative disc disease would, you would even think of it like when you're talking about degenerative diseases, right? Neurodegenerative diseases. So um, it's so, it's so interesting, but it makes total sense if you, you know, if when you step back and take that kind of bigger picture. Yeah. In terms of PT, the biggest things I was thinking about probably boiled down to dual task. I think both in like the measuring and treatment, there's a lot of variability in practice. Yeah. And um, I really think it's important to, and this goes back to probably our second podcast. Uh, we talked about dual task with Nora Fritz, but, and that if you're not measuring both the dual task cost of walking or the mobility task, as well as the cognitive dual task costs, then you're really not fully assessing someone's dual task ability. And if it changes just the, the walking dual task, you don't know if that's just a prioritization or if that's really a true measure of change. Um, and this happens both in practice and in like research papers and stuff. Yeah. Well, I also think, I mean, even stepping back from the measurement is even like, are you really doing a dual task? Oh yeah. I feel like people definitely like will call things a dual task, but they're, it's really just a more complex task because you can't do them separately. Yeah. Agility ladder, not a dual task. Right. Stuff like that. Right then I feel like it's kind of a, been like a hot ticket. People want to just dual, do dual task training with everyone. And I feel like people just think like, oh, balance problem, let's do some dual tasks. It'll get better. I think also like just in the neurodegenerative population, people sometimes see that someone has some cognitive impairment and also think that that's like an automatic indication to do dual task training. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Right. And this is kind of getting to Amy's pet peeve too, right? Like if you're doing an outcome measure and you get a better sense of like what it is really that's affecting their balance, because you've done all these different kinds of balance items and balance challenges, then maybe you could hone your intervention better. And nothing against dual task training. I'm not saying I never do it. Yeah. You need the you need the right intervention for the right patient, right? Exactly. All right, Parm, what do you have? What's on your mind? Oh, for my pet peeves, let me count the ways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, okay. I've got one big one, which is actually stolen. It's a stolen pet peeve that I stole from Joan Drevens. Well, I also know and love. No, we, yes, we know her and we love her. She was, um, she's now retired, but she worked at Beth Israel and um, did a lot of education 
and dealt with the students quite a bit. And I was actually a student there. And so doing all the proper studenty things, right? Writing my assessment statements. And I wrote skilled physical therapy. And Joan said, oh, what's unskilled physical therapy? And I was like, hmm, I don't really know. And she goes, oh, well, maybe like your physical therapy is better than my physical therapy. So it's skilled, right? And mine isn't. I was like, well, that's not what I mean to say. So I just, I kind of adopted that. I'm like, you're totally right. What is skilled physical therapy? And so I never write it. I cringe when I read it in people's notes. I, whenever I do an audit, I challenge people, you know, like, what do you mean when you say that? What I will say is sometimes I do, you know, you know, I'm in acute care and, you know, oftentimes patients will improve, but they still have to be in the hospital for medical reasons. And I might say something like the patient no longer requires the skill of physical therapy. Right. Because they're really talking about the skill that physical therapy brings that they don't need anymore. Because what they really need to be doing is walking and they're independent walking and they can walk in the hall themselves and, you know, whatever. So, and I think that that's what we mean when we say skilled physical therapy, but, but it's a pet peeve. I agree with that one. And wanting to justify, like I, the idea of wanting to justify services certainly resonates I think there are better ways to do that than just writing skilled physical therapy. I really think it's from Medicare. It's, it's like, it, you know, and again, it comes from this idea that some physical therapy is not skilled, but we need to get away from that because it is, you know, any, really anything we do, we should be bringing that level to our work. And if we're not, then we shouldn't be billing for it. Yeah. So. Okay, Sarah. So this was a lot of fun. Even though I kept you up past your bedtime farm. <laughs> Not hard to do. <laughs> um, no, this was a ton of fun to just hear what people had to say and reflect on it and give some of our own pet peeves. And who knows, maybe this will become like an annual thing. So that'd be great. I love it. It was really fun to hear from people and Gave me some more food for thought. Every little like thing you change, every little improvement makes a difference, right? So totally things to to focus on or to change in your practice. It's great. And we also want to encourage our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast um, or any of the others, please share them. But we are also putting out a survey. There will be a link to the survey. So please click on the link. We promise it won't be extensive. It should be quick, but we want to hear from people so that we can continue to improve the podcast. So if you look in the podcast episode description, you should be able to go to that link or you can find us on social media as well to find the link to our feedback survey. I think we also might be putting this out on um, Twitter or Facebook. So if this pet peeve idea resonates with you and you want to share on our social media what your NeuroPT or DDPT pet peeve is, um, we would love to hear from some listeners as well as our guests. So post away and then who knows, maybe if we do some more recordings, we'll see if we can grab some from listeners next year. 
All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Parm. This podcast was produced and edited by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group podcast team. Our team includes Sarah Thaler, Katie McGraw, Christina Burke, Ken Bonacco, Carly Hayward, Jeff Schmidt. I am Parm Padgett. Subscribe to our newsletter on the ANPT website, neuropt.org, or check us out on Facebook. And please share this episode with a colleague today. Thanks to Jimmy McKay for providing music. Welcome to 4D, a pat Ugh! Welcome to 4D, a podcast brought to you. <laughs> Welcome to 4D, a podcast. Yes, I just had a beep. <laughs> you should just not record our commentary. <laughs> True. Right <Yeah>. on. <laughs> How many ways can we say yes in one podcast? Yeah, right. You're PTs. <laughs> You've seen it all. I must admit, I do have several to choose from. So I'm really not sure what that says about me. But here I go. P.S. I have another pet peeve. And it's a personal one. I really can't stand how my voice sounds on recording. Take 1200. Love it. Well, thank you. We have one fan. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a very devoted and I'm a very appreciative fan. So we're not recording anymore, people. Are you recording this? Oh, it's all yes. recorded. Yeah. Oh, it's all recorded. Okay, no, because I. Um, so we should react to what you said. <laughs>